in business, uh, there's a principle that you are either going forward or you're going backwards. Um, companies are always looking for new revenue streams, right? Um, it's all it's about expansion and growth. That's going to be what we're talking about a little bit. I don't know if uh, in sports uh, you've heard of a pink hat fan. Has anyone heard of a pink hat fan? You know what that is? It's actually a... Um, it typically now means or refers to a newcomer fan or a semi-serious fan. So it actually started with Major League Baseball and I think the Red Sox, I'm not sure, which decided that they weren't getting enough money and so they wanted to expand. And in sports, we kind of know that as I even talk about sports, I've turned off about half of my audience. I've turned off the women. They're tuned out. And so the, um, the pink hat originated to try to attract women to sports. Um, and, and so um, that's, so we refer to, and they're not serious fans. They don't really care about sports. Right? Um, and of course, this spread to uh, other sports. And all of this is why, to expand uh, and, and find more money. Um, we're, we're not going to be talking a lot about sports. That's my sports analogy for today. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, something a little bit more serious than that, obviously. And we're going to start in Haggai, uh, chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. He says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He wanted you to know that the Lord of hosts was declaring this. He said it quite a few times in there. The Lord of angels, Lord of an immeasurable number of armies wanted you to know that he was going to shake everything. We, we read this, this, um, uh, this type of uh, terminology throughout the Bible, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about what this means. Um, but, but this title uh, is important. I think that last week especially we, we talked about Christ as, as the consolation of Israel. And I said, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm not Israel. Uh, who is this talking about? But, but Christ lets you know that he was, dis- uh, he was intending to expand his kingdom. He was, he was going to go beyond that. And I think that's uh, quite important that we understand and, and look at Christ as the desire of nations. And, and this terminology that he uses is interesting. So we're going to talk a little bit about shaking things up, what this means. This terminology is used a number of times throughout the Bible. Uh, and, and, and we, we get these dramatic pictures of, of oh, Christ is, uh, uh, when Christ comes, there's going to be earthquakes. And, and you read that stuff in Matthew and in Revelation. We, we wonder what does all this mean? And stars falling and, and, and mountains and all these mountains falling into the sea. And, wow, this is going to be a pretty, pretty amazing thing to watch. And that's, as we kind of read in Haggai, not at all what he's talking about. Uh, when, when he uses this, uh, he's not talking about physical events that we're going to be looking for. He's talking about shaking up 
the order of things. Uh, we have a, a phrase that's, that's popular today, and, and, and some of you um, who are in the business world have to deal with these buzzwords and things. We call it a paradigm shift, right? And the things are going to be completely different. It, it, it's just, it, it's not even the whole, it's, we're not just changing little things here. We're not just tinkering here and, and doing that, by the way, um, as we, we talk about shaking things up. Uh, we're going to tinker a little bit uh, in, the, in the coming year with our, with our services. It's not going to be any paradigm shifts. Um, but we are going to tinker a little bit, just so, just so you're prepared for that. Uh, but, but Christ says, when I come, oh, there's going to be something that dramatic happens and I'm, I'm just going to change the entire order of things. So we're, we're kind of used to major changes, right? Uh, when, when social media was created, that changed how companies did business. I mean, how many of us look I mean, just the internet in general and, and cell phones. So cell phones came along. Every, we still get delivered to our door, these, the, the yellow pages. You ever see that? You just kind of laugh. I use it. It makes great fire starter. I just roll those papers up. They're, they're nice. I mean, they catch just like that, and it, it's great. Who looks at that? I, we still get the advertisers that come here, go through the, 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 uh, the, all the voicemail, and say, you know, you, got, you get your place in the yellow pages. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Right? It, it, things are completely different. Everybody's been affected by, by some of these technological advancements. And this is what Christ is saying. There's going to be something. I'm going to do something that completely changes. And things are going to be rearranged. And Christ comes. And I, and I want to look at just a few of the things uh, that he, he does. Luke chapter 2, verse 46 through 49. He says... Hey, here he is, just a little kid. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? You just see, you just see the, the mother. Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? You came back to Jerusalem and you spent a whole day or however long looking in Jerusalem. Didn't you know where I would be? Why didn't you look here first? You'd have saved yourself a lot of grief. Don't you know that I must be about my father's house? Right? He was about his father's house. That was his business. Uh, so he was all about the temple. Uh, look at a couple of a couple of others that that really confirmed this idea in Mark chapter eleven, uh, verse fifteen through seventeen. He says they came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers of the seats of those who sold pigeons and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple and he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. He was about shaking things up. And his greatest passion was for the temple. And we're going to see a little bit why. Because the temple is not really important to us now. I mean, what, it, why was Christ so passionate about the temple then? If it was, if it's, not even a, a, a centerpiece of Christianity. I mean, that's what he was coming to, to do. And I, I think it has to do uh, with the reputation. 
the reputation of, of God at that time was centered on the reputation of the temple because that was the focal point of their religion. He was, he was concerned with the reputation that God had. That's his passion. And he was coming to shake that up because things have gotten a little bit out of hand. People no longer respected the temple because they didn't respect the people who were in the temple. It was just uh, a lot of organized crime, basically, going on there. Uh, next passage, Matthew, chapter 27. And this is an interesting thing. Christ, again, with a, a major shift in the order of things. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now, there's a lot of interesting things in here. Uh, for such a small verse. But, but in studying uh, and in looking at this curtain, this was not your, your nice pretty curtains uh, that, that, you know, and, uh, and someone tore. First of all, they were torn from top to bottom. That, a lot has been made about the thickness of this curtain. And I, I, I was reading, and, and who knows how accurate these things are, but the, 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 the curtain itself was made up, it was a weave, each weave was 72 different uh, cords or, or strands. Uh, and each of those was made up of 24, was, was a, a weave of 24, uh, so think of a, a yarn or some, some type of thing with 24 strings in it, and there's 72 of those. This thing, they said it was the, the width of your hand. Um, but what is more impressive about that was the, the, the curtain itself was made to, to take a big room and divide it into two. Imagine a, a room like this, something like this, but bigger. About 30 feet high and about 30 feet wide. And imagine that, that we wanted a part of this that couldn't be seen by everybody. Only one person could go in there, the high priest, once a year. And so you had to wall it off. Well, they didn't make a wall. They just put a curtain over it. So this thing was 30 feet high, and it was ripped starting from the top. This was no ordinary event. And, and so, so this curtain, that's uh, this incredibly intricate tapestry, is ripped from top to bottom, starting up there. Four inches thick. Christ shook things up. Christ shook things up, and anybody in the temple was pretty shaken. He upended the entire nature. And, and, he says, and this is what we're talking about. He says, he says the temple's not your, your primary thing anymore. I, I'm changing the order of things, and we're starting right here today. So I want to look a little bit more at Christ's uh, dramatic change as he changes the function of, Christ, of, of, of worship uh, and, and the function of everything. Uh, the dramatic change can be summed up in a couple of, well, there's really can't be summed up if we want to get into every detail. We can't go into every change, but I want to look at just a few of them. Uh, the, the major ones, uh, there's two of them that really apply to him as the desire of nations. In John chapter 4, he says, Our fathers worshipped on this mount, or actually this is not him speaking, he's here talking to the Samaritan woman, and she's asking him a question. He was getting a little too close, 
uh, in their conversation. So she decides to introduce a, a theological question. He's, she says, our, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people should worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And so he begins uh, with what we would call decentralization. The, the, it's not going to be about Jerusalem. There's a de-emphasis on the temple. And this is the major shift that's coming, of course, and we saw that when he dies just a little bit later. This, this temple is opened and laid bare, as Hebrew says. Now, we know the Great Commission, right? We go into all the world. And it was kind of funny is uh, how this process happens in Acts chapter 11. And, and Stephen has been stoned and, and, and people are kind of shaken up. Uh, and so uh, what happens uh, in Acts 11, uh, we see the next shift. He says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And they think they're fulfilling the Great Commission because they're going into all the world. Right? Uh, we went into all the world. We're, we're going uh, to islands. We're going to different countries. We're, we're, we're spreading out. And they're preaching the word to Jews. And they, they haven't quite got the message that Jesus is the desire of nations as he intended it uh, to be. Because they're preaching to the Jews of every nation. You kind of got it, but not quite. So that brings us to the, the second, uh, second part of this change that, that Christ is trying to, to get them to in, in, in Luke. Uh, chapter 2, verse 29 through 32, he says, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. And this is Simeon. We read this uh, last week. Uh, and a glory for your people, Israel. There's this expansion. He's got... I, I can only imagine the people hearing this in the temple... This statement was made in the temple. A light for Gentiles. Say what? Yeah. Did you not catch anything in the Old Testament? Uh, just just a, a passage in the Old Testament. As they're going through the expansion here. Isaiah 62. He says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet until her righteousness shines forth in brightness and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord shall give. This was the entire... I mean, this, you can go through passage after passage after passage in the Old Testament talking about how God was going to give it to all peoples, all nations. The word nations is the word Gentiles. It's the same exact word. The Gentiles are going to see the glory. And they go, you know what, we're going to go to all these other countries we're going to talk to Jews. No, that's, that's not the message. That's not it. And so they had to get, Peter had to have an express written invitation to speak to people who weren't Jews. 
Because sometimes it's hard to get the message. Sometimes it's hard for us to take hints. So we want to not just know some things about Christ as the desired nations. We want to, we've looked at his mission a little bit, but we want to know it a little bit more deeply and personally. And I want to talk about our unnamed desire. What I mean by that, um, we, we talked a little bit about uh, technology and things like that. And I, I think a few weeks ago or months ago, uh, Mike was, was closing out and he talked about how, how he had this neat little thing and he, he never really responded to an advertisement. He just kind of saw it and saw someone using this thing. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You've never gotten an advertisement encouraging you to... I mean, there are advertisements in, in competition for iPhones, but, but no, one, no one really ever had to, to tell you, you need to be convinced that you need a smartphone, whatever brand. You know, maybe this specific brand, you, you should get better than that one. But no one ever had to convince us that we needed these things. They just appeared, and it took over like an invasive species. Because someone tapped into this unnamed desire that we all had. Just, that was the, the miracle of it. Right? And there are things like that. Now, now, there are things that people will try to convince you and try to convince you and try to convince you you need. You need term life insurance. And they just, I mean, they're relentless. You need, you need, uh, you need some, you need this product. And they'll call me up, oh, uh, you and my warranties out on my vehicle, and all these things. Oh. Why? Because it's not obvious, it's not evident that I need these things. And they've got to try to convince me I need it first before I can sell it. But, but something, something's just, they hit us. Like, wow, where has this been my whole life? I mean, you can't imagine. You can't even remember what life was like before Fill in the blank. How did we live? How did I get from place to place without this thing? How did I call people? Because it just hit us. And there's this untapped desire. Acts chapter 17. It says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined... There are allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way for Him and find Him. But He's not really far from any one of us. For in Him we move and we have our being, even as your own poets said. Even as your own Gentile poets have written this kind of thing. For we are His offspring. And so then, being God's offspring, we shouldn't think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or image formed by the art or imagination of man. He says, listen, in every one of us there's this desire. We, we don't have it. we kind of feeling around for it, trying to figure out what it is, and we all are looking for something. Everybody you meet is looking for something. And they'll come up with all sorts of imaginative things to fill that. 
And they'll only use the information that they have available to them. And they will follow the same kind of progression that most people do. And they'll look for something to fill it. Well, maybe it's fun. I need fun. That will make me feel good. Well, I'll go out and, and, and do this thing and, and, and whatever it is. That's fun. Or maybe it's some form of entertainment. That's kind of fun too. And, and uh, maybe it's entertainment. And, and we'll all talk about this movie and we'll all get up in our weird gear and go stand in line to see Star Wars movies. And that, that's going to bring meaning to my life. Or, or whatever it is, and, and some people, I mean, it's just thing after thing, and then it gets darker and darker, and maybe we need to, and, and people get money, that, that doesn't satisfy it, so then they're like, well, what are we going to do with our money? Um, and, and, and people, well, it's shopping, shopping's going to bring meaning to my life, or, or drugs, or whatever. And people go down, and they're going to try everything, and they, they have these great imaginations of what's going to bring meaning, and what they're looking for, and God's saying, he's not really that far from you, you're just kind of looking in all the wrong places. But he's put it in it. There's that unnamed desire that we have. And, and we just not quite getting it. And that's the world around us. They're just not quite getting it. So the first thing is expansion. And, and Well, I want to talk about preservation. There's a common method of expansion. You notice the movies that you watch? You ever? I haven't seen a good movie lately. A year ago for Christmas, um, my my wife's brother got us movie passes. They're expensive. So I'm like, well, I'm going to use these when a good movie comes out. They're still sitting in my drawer. (laughs) So I'm like, I'll just wait for that to come out on DVD. I'll just kind of wait for that to come to Netflix or whatever. I don't even have Netflix. I'll, I'll wait for that to come out on uh, uh, something where I can I just rent it. That's not worth going and seeing and spending that. I'm still waiting for a good movie. It's a year later. Why? Why? Didn't they make a good movie? I'll tell you why. It's all superheroes now. And get used to that because it's not going to change. The reason why is because of expansion. It's because the biggest thing in uh, the biggest money right now is China. Well, your great acting movies and, and the drama and, and a lot of the stuff that really moved us was based around American culture, and that doesn't translate. It's all about, listen, punching and comic book plots, that plays in any country, in any language, so it's easy to translate, and that's why, that's why you have the movies you have. It's all about expansion. So what's happened is they've had to water down things for expansion, for those new revenue streams. And when we talk about the gospel, there's this same tendency. There's this this desire to expand. And so there's a tendency to want to go, well, that doesn't really fit the, the culture that we're in. So, so we're going to have to make it palatable for the people that we're trying to reach. And we do the same thing that all the movie producers are doing. Let's boil this down to a simple comic book plot for people. God says, no. Um, this guy affects your hymns. Constantine the Great 
Now, you look at your Christmas carols, uh, and, and I, I point out frequently, Katie doesn't like it, the, the, the errors in our Christmas songs. Right? Now, some of, your, some, of your, some of your Christmas songs are wrong just because someone casually read things and didn't pay attention to it. Um, probably the worst one is We Three Kings of Orient are, in which you have shepherds following a star. No, they didn't. Uh, but some of these hymns are errors which we have now because of this guy. Now, he didn't change the hymns because they weren't written yet. I mean, most of the songs are written in the last 200 years, but, but this guy, Constantine the Great, in, in 313, he, became, uh, he ended persecution against Christianity and, and made Christianity actually the official religion of the Roman Empire. And as they spread, he decided that they wanted to change some things. Not Christmas, per se. Christmas wasn't an official religious holiday. Uh, but this was, as, as Christianity spread, he said, you know what I want to do is, uh, I want to make this appealing, make Christianity appealing to wherever we're going. So, so, the, um, so he started making Christmas, why is Christmas in the winter? Right? So we have songs, for example, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Right? Now, Christ was born this Christmas day. No, he wasn't. Uh, do you hear what I hear? Written in 1962. A child, a child, shivers in the cold. No, he doesn't. The first Noel. It was on a winter's night that was so deep. No, it wasn't. See... <clears throat> In bringing Christianity or attempting to make it appealing to the Druids and, and the, the Norse people, they found that there was a popular celebration up there around the 25th. It was around the winter solstice. It was called the Yule. Ever heard of the Yule log? It was just a, just a celebration of, of, of the winter solstice. And so they said, well, this is their popular holiday. So, so they made Christmas the celebration of um, Christ's birth here. Here, why don't you just kind of take some of your traditions and we'll decorate some trees because that's what they did. And what do you know? Now, now, I'm not against decorating your trees. We've got one. And I'm not against celebrating the 25th. And I'm not even against singing. If you want to sing that, that Christ shivered in the cold, that's fine. <laughs> But I want you to understand, this is, this was, and it doesn't make a difference, because Christmas is not an official holiday. Right? It's not an official church thing. It's not in the Bible that you have to celebrate it. But I'm trying to make a point that, that this is kind of the thing that people do when they're trying to expand. We somehow have this, this idea that we need to make it appealing to the people around us. We need to change to, to fit them. When the gospel was brought to make people change to fit God, the gospel is the immovable object. God is the immovable object. We need to fall on Him and be broken, not the other way around. It needs preservation. Peter wrote about this. He said, 
Whoever speaks, let him speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength of God that he supplies. So that in order that in everything God will be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is about preservation. You see, the simple message already fits our generation. We've talked about that. Really, people aren't that different. People haven't changed in thousands of years. The technology changes. The way we interact has changed. Societal structures have changed. But our world still needs Christ. And it needs the same Christ that the world needed when he was born. People have been attempting to use the same things for thousands of years to fill human needs. Entertainment then looked different from entertainment now, but it's still entertainment. Money then looked a little bit different from money now, but it was still money. Booze was the same as it was now. Whatever the thing that people use to fill the holes are the same things that they use now. So the world still needs the same Christ. People have been complaining and complaining about things in our world for centuries, for millennia. No, people's complaints are an opportunity to introduce them. Look at complaints as an opportunity to introduce them. There's something that they're not getting. There's, there's a disconnect with something and they're not... All a complaint is is something, I'm searching for something, and I'm not sure what it is, and this isn't doing it. That's an opportunity to introduce them to the thing that they need. That's what a complaint is. What are you dissatisfied with? So as we close, I just want to ask a question. Am I excited about what I have? When I was a senior in high school, um, I, I was staying with a, a family. I, um, I wasn't. I, we, I moved up to a different state. My mom was in New York, and I, I hated New York. And so, for my senior year, I moved and and stayed with a family. He was kind of the guy that took me in as a, as a little kid, and kind of was my dad. So I stayed with him for my my senior year. Well, we went and had Christmas at his parents' house, um, and uh, his parents were elderly. And and they knew I was kind of a. Uh, I liked mechanical things and electrical things, and uh, so his his dad got me one of those you know those science kit things they're like for eight year olds, and I was embarrassed. Oh man, was I embarrassed! And and I could feel the embarrassment of everybody around me. I was not excited about this gift. But I knew, I've known this family since I was a little kid. And so I had to fake that I was excited about this gift. I ended up giving it to, to Barry's little kid. Uh, I was genuinely not excited about this gift. I didn't, desperately didn't want to hurt their feelings. You, know, you ever not been excited about something you got? Like, how are we going to re-gift this? What, what, what are we going to do? Am I excited about the gift I've been given? Or am I kind of embarrassed about it? Sometimes we're excited about the gift I have. I mean, we're excited here. 
But am I excited when I leave here? Am I excited to share this with people? Am I looking for an opportunity? How can I do this? Say, say, look for the complaints. That's how I do it. Look for the complaints. If you can't find anything else, it's an opportunity to share. You know, I have this thing. I have this gift that's exciting to me. And excitement looks different. For, I mean, you might not be the yay, hip-hop, and jump around. And that might not be your kind of excitement. But am I, you might be just the, the type of person that's genuinely emotionally affected by something. But we have this incredible gift that Christ came. We went Wednesday night and talked about how we, we, we look at all the gifts that were given to Christ. But the majority of the gifts in the Christmas story are not the gifts that people gave to Christ. They're the gifts that Christ came to bring to us. Hope and peace and forgiveness of sins and salvation. There's a whole litany of gifts in Matthew 2 and in Luke 2 that Christ came to bring. Am I excited about those gifts? We're going to close.